Well, good morning again, with the Nashree family. We welcome you to our Christmas service. Um, and I think it's, it's simply just so awesome that I get to spend part of my day here uh, with you to celebrate um, as the body of Christ, the birth of Christ. And so far, we've been going through our Advent sermon series, um, A Rising Hope, where we've explored the message of hope that Isaiah has been giving to the Israelites um, as they lived as exiles in a foreign nation. And as we kind of round out our year, as we have our last Sunday of the year, and also as we celebrate Christmas, um, I want to talk about a movie that I watched recently uh, featuring Tom Hanks. Um, has anyone here ever watched uh, the movie Castaway, starring Tom Hanks? Uh, so for those who, who haven't, um, in the movie, uh, Tom Hanks, he plays the character of Chuck Noland, a uh, FedEx executive who is stranded on a, des a deserted island after a plane crash. Now, Chuck is obviously completely alone, and he's clearly bewildered in this picture, uh, with no one to talk to, uh, with no way to communicate uh, with the outside world. And so in this movie, he is isolated. He's cut off from the rest of humanity. He's cut off from society. And so he must rely on his own resourcefulness. He must rely on his own determination to survive. And so he builds shelters, he scavenges for food, he tries to stay alive, but no matter how hard he tries to stay alive, he comes face to face with the fact that simply being alive is not enough. He realizes that what he needs is to be rescued. What he needs is to be reunited with society, reunited with his loved ones. As the days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, uh, Chuck, he starts to lose hope. He begins to feel like he will never be rescued, and he'll be stuck on this island forever. Um, he starts to feel like he is losing his mind. And so at, at his you know, peak moments of desperation, he, he makes this makeshift wooden raft and sets out onto the sea in the hopes of being rescued, but also fully prepared to die. And in the midst of total exhaustion, in the midst of dehydration, in the middle of the ocean, something miraculous happens to Chuck. Chuck is rescued by a passing ship, and he's finally able to make his way back home to civilization, where he can be reunited with his loved ones, and he's now able to start a new chapter of his life. And this story is a lot like the human condition, apart from God, right? We are all lost. We're all stranded on this proverbial island of sin and brokenness with no hope of rescue. Uh, we come face to face with the same reality that Chuck experienced. We're just living and carrying on with our day is simply just not enough. We begin to understand that we are separated from God by our sins and that we actually need his salvation. We begin to understand that we are imperfect. We are flawed and we are in deep need of repair and of restoration. We are like Chuck Noland, feeling lost, alone, uh, with no rescue of hope. But just like how Chuck was rescued by a passing ship, uh, God offers us hope and deliverance as well through the good news of salvation. Um, and this is the message that Isaiah declares in Isaiah 52, verses 7 to 10. In this passage that we're about to read shortly, we see a powerful declaration of the good news of salvation, a message that brings healing and deliverance to the people of God. But before we can experience this healing 
and deliverance, we must first recognize the reality of our brokenness and our need for a savior. Like Chuck, we have to come face to face with the reality that we are lost, that we are stranded. But just like how the rescue ship that brought Chuck home, there's also good news of salvation for us as well. A good news that brings us lasting hope and true deliverance. And so let's take a look at that passage today um, as we explore Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 to 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. So burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Now, in the previous sermons, we talked a bit about the state of Israel, but to give a little bit more of a historical context, uh, the nation of Israel at this point in time was split into two nations, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, in the previous sermons, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel rebelled against God, and they were conquered by the Assyrians, and they were carried off into exile. But the southern kingdom of Judah kind of still remained free, but by today's passage, that is no longer. Uh, not only is the northern kingdom of Israel exiled, but the southern kingdom of Judah is exiled as well. In Jerusalem, if you can, if you can see, that's, that's where um, the southern kingdom is. And so the entire people of God, what we see here today is that the entire people of God, everyone, they're all conquered, they're all forced out of their homes, and they're all exiled into a foreign nation. And so in our passage, we see that Isaiah speaks of the ruins of Jerusalem. And these ruins are a symbol and a reminder of our reality of brokenness. The ruins of Jerusalem stand as a reminder of the city's troubled history and the hardships that it faced over the centuries. We know through history that the city has been conquered and destroyed over and over again, leaving it in a constant state of chaos, ruin, and despair. But not only is the city in ruins, but the people living in it are in ruins as well, as they are now placed into bondage, where they must now experience oppression from unjust people in power, as they are forced and exiled away from their homes. And the thing is, Isaiah, he always uses these themes of destruction, of bondage, and oppression, not just to describe the physical condition of the city or the circumstances of the people, but Isaiah also uses these themes to describe the human condition apart from God. Like the ruins of Jerusalem, Isaiah makes the point that we also are all broken and in ruins as well. Like the city, we too are in a desperate need of repair and restoration. And although the verses we just read are a powerful declaration of the good news of salvation, where there is joy, where there is gladness, healing, and deliverance, the thing is we must first recognize and acknowledge the reality of our own brokenness first. And what does it mean to be broken? Brokenness, biblically speaking, 
is to describe the human condition where we are separated from the God of life, from the God of goodness. Like Chuck, who when separated from society experiences the pain and suffering of total isolation, when we are cut off from God, we too also experience tremendous pain and tremendous suffering because we have severed the connection to the God who gives us wholeness and life. We experience what it is like to be hurt and wounded, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. To be broken also means to live in a manner that is not reflective of who we are meant to be, as the image and the reflection of a holy and pure God. So we have to have enough humility to understand that we have contributed to this pain in this world and that we have to have the humbleness and the, and the willingness to acknowledge that we too have experienced pain as well from the world. And so what we must all acknowledge is that we are all broken in some way, whether it be through our own mistakes or the mistakes of others or even just the pain we receive in living in a broken world. However, however I think it's important to remember that our brokenness as people is not something that we should be ashamed of either or something that we should try to hide. Uh, in fact, throughout the Bible, we see that God is able to work in the lives of those who are clearly broken and bring healing and restoration, right? If we look forward into the New Testament concerning the woman at the well uh, who is living a broken life of shame and isolation, we see that she acknowledged her brokenness before Jesus. And because she acknowledged her brokenness before Jesus, she was not turned away. She was not rejected like how the rest of her town might have treated her, but she was instead given the living waters of salvation and she was able to start a new life. Jesus was able to see her brokenness, see beyond it, and offer her genuine hope and genuine healing. And so in the same way, God offers us broken people hope and healing as well. So let's take a look at that in our second sermon points, the hope of redemption. In our passage, uh, looking specifically at verse 10, we see Isaiah saying that, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And the image we kind of get here is God kind of rolling up his sleeves, getting ready to work. And what is this work that God is about to do in the sight of all nations? It says that the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So let's take a look at those two words briefly, comfort and redemption. Um, now, normally when we think of the word comforts, we might normally think of words of comfort, right? Whether that be encouraging words that we need to hear during difficult times or maybe just a reassurance that, hey, everything will be okay, everything will be fine. And when we look at scripture and the words of hope that it offers, to some degree, it does give us a sense of comfort. It does give us a sense of ease. It gives us a sense of hope that things will turn out right after all that when we die, that there will be a resurrection, that there is a new heaven, that there will be a new earth, that we will receive a new body. But the reality is that although words of comfort are very powerful and might be just what we need, words of comfort don't actually bring any change in our lives. It doesn't make any meaningful impact on the situation we find ourselves in. 
And in certain circumstances, when we receive words of comfort or when we give out words of comfort, it feels sometimes like we're just trying to cover up a bullet hole with, a, with some gauze and, and just a piece of Band-Aid. So when the Lord's arms are laid bare, when he rolls up his sleeves for all the nations to witness his power in comforting his people, what kind of comfort do these Israelites receive? If we look back one chapter to Isaiah 51, we actually get an image of what this comfort looks like. Isaiah writes, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. How is he going to do this? He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. When God rolls up his sleeves, he acts. He acts in our midst, and he makes meaningful and genuine changes in our lives as he transforms that which is broken within us into something that is vibrant, something that is now full of life. He turns our mourning into singing and dancing, which is why Isaiah can say in our passage that we read today, he tells this to the ruins of Jerusalem, to this destroyed city. He says to it, burst into, joy of, uh, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, for the Lord is about to transform the city and to transform their lives. God has changed their situation and has brought them out of their misery and into a place of gladness. And the way that God does that is through redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed? To be redeemed means to be bought back or to be rescued from a state of bondage or slavery. Uh, in the Old Testament, redemption means to pay the ransom in order to purchase someone's freedom and give them a new life. And so as these Israelites are oppressed, as they experience bondage in a foreign nation, God, in our passage, he has redeemed them. He has paid the price and has bought them back so that they can receive new life again in him. And although this form of redemption brings about physical change, the truly good news about the redemption offered to us is that it is something that cannot be bought with money. It cannot be earned, but it is instead a free gift from God given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ paid the ransom for our freedom, not with money, not with gold, but with his own life. He willingly went to the cross, took upon himself the punishment of our sins, and by doing so, he has freed us from the powers of sin and from the powers of death. And because we are now freed, we are now free to live, live a dramatically new life in Christ, a life of peace, a life of wholeness, a life filled with the Spirit. But what does this new life truly look like? Let's take a look at that in our final sermon point today, the implications of redemption. And the clear image we get of redemption is found in the very first verse that we read today, in verse 7, that as the people and the watchmen desperately waiting in the ruins of Jerusalem, look out into the wilderness, desperately looking for some hope, they spot a lone runner, shouting and praising good news. A news so good that it makes even the dirtiest and ugliest part of his bodies described as beautiful. The lone runner, with beautiful feet, shouts to the people a message of peace, good tidings, salvation, 
and most importantly, your God reigns. In the destroyed ruins of Jerusalem, in a nation that is exiled and shattered, the messenger declares to the people of God that Yahweh is still their Lord and is still their king. Yahweh is still in control and sovereign over all things, that despite the people having no human king, their father in heaven has laid bare his holy arms and has taken control of the people's situations. Despite the people being ruled by a foreign king, Yahweh has now returned to take back his kingdom. He has now redeemed the people, and as we mentioned earlier, he's now prepared to bring them home. And because of the fact that their God reigns, there's now peace, good tidings, and salvation. There's first peace in the sense that there's an end to oppression, there's an end to bondage, there's an end to our slavery to sin. There will be no more wars. There will be no more threats that will make the people live in fear and anxiousness. There's no more forced labor to make the people groan and cry out to God. But along with that, there's also now peace in the sense that they are finally reconciled with God. And they're now able to finally experience his love and his grace again. The Israelites, who were formerly objects of God's punishment due to their idolatry, they're now once again objects of God's love, objects of his forgiveness. And because they're now loved, because they're forgiven, the relationship with God is now restored, and it's now made whole. Second, because God reigns, there are now good tidings. And good tidings in general, it means not just good news, but also an end to all bad news as well. It points and looks forward to an era where there is an end to sin, an end to evil, an end to anxiousness and fear. It points to a future where the abundance of God's blessings flow freely to all people. It points to a future where the awful and dreadful past is forever forgotten in light of the good news that is found in Christ. And finally, because God reigns, salvation is brought to the ends of the world where all nations can experience what it is finally like to be reconciled with God and to experience his love and his grace, where all people can experience what it is like to have their lives restored and made whole. Salvation speaks to us of a message of a new beginning, of forgiveness, of healing. It's a message where our ruins of Jerusalem inside us are now made whole again whether those ruins be our lives, the struggles within our families, or even the brokenness of the world around us. Salvation speaks of a time when although we live in the ruins of Jerusalem, we are able to sing, we're able to praise God because that we know that he reigns, that he's in control in the midst of a dying world. We know our living God is now seated on his throne and that he has now rolled up his sleeves ready to bring restoration into this world and into our lives. And so as we come to the end of our time together, I encourage us to reflect on the message that we have heard today. It's a message of redemption that brings peace, good tidings, and salvations to the ends of the world. It's a message that brings joy and gladness to the people of God as they declare together that our God reigns. It's a message that offers us the opportunity 
to find meaning and purpose in our lives, to be reconciled once again to God, and to experience his unconditional love and grace, even in the midst of our rebellion and brokenness. So as we celebrate Christmas today, I want us to remember the true meaning of this special day. It's the birth of Jesus, the Son of God who came to earth to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer, the Son of God who is now seated as our King and has brought us peace, good tidings, and salvation. He came as one of us, as fully human, in order to offer us the hope of a new beginning and a fresh start in life as we are forgiven and reconciled with our Father. Ultimately, Christ came to be our light in the darkness of our ruins. And so as we go today, let us remember the story of Jesus' birth and the wonderful work that he has done for us. Let us respond appropriately to this message of good news by allowing Christ to work in our lives. And let us celebrate and share this message of good news with all who have ears to hear. Praise God, truly praise God for everything he has done in our lives. Let us come together for a period of prayer. Lord, today is your day. And we come to celebrate the birth of your son. Uh, you have sent him into our broken world to redeem it, to save it. From death, you've brought life. And in a dark world, you have shown us the light that is Christ. And so we pray today, Lord, that as we finish our service, as we prepare to go about the rest of our day and week, uh, that you'll let the gospel message sit deep within our hearts. Uh, to let the good news of the gospel fill our entire lives from our heads to our hearts, and finally to our hands. And may you, Lord, give us beautiful feet as well as we share the wonderful gift of salvation to our friends, to our families, and even to our enemies. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gift of salvation that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for the peace, the good tidings, and everything you have given us throughout our lives. We thank you, Lord. We pray all of this in your most, in your most precious son's name. Amen.